Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and I am so proud to be a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Drought is getting worse across Texas. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. This was the first year where farmers had the opportunity to grow hemp legally in Texas, and it turns out there were not a lot of takers here in the Texas Panhandle. I'm James Hunt, and I'll talk about that as I report from Amarillo. Texas schools benefit from USDA grants. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with a look at news headlines. 36% of the state is now suffering from moderate or worse drought, according to the Texas Water Development Board. That's up three percentage points from last week. The board says there has been a slow expansion of drought over the past three weeks. Extreme or worse drought now impacts 14% of the state. The Panhandle, West, Far West Texas, and Winter Garden area are suffering from drought, while the rest of the state remains largely drought-free. By the end of January, the National Weather Service forecasts that drought will cover most of Texas and 13 other western states. The deadline to sign up for the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program at your local Farm Service Agency office is December 11th. Registration is underway for the virtual South Texas Farm and Ranch Show. The show will be held October 28th and 29th. Speakers will discuss pasture and range management, industrial hemp, native plants for quail restoration, broadleaf weed control and pastures, feral hog control and management, and pesticide laws and regulations. Cost is $20 per person per day. Proceeds benefit youth scholarships in Victoria and surrounding counties. To RSVP, search South Texas Farm and Ranch Show on eventbrite.com. That is event. B-R-I-T-E dot C-O-M. Again, the event, October 28th and 29th. Brad Rippey, meteorologist for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, says the nation's peanut crop is rated better than the same time last year. Peanut condition, at least from the standpoint of the tropical events, it is perceived that the peanuts are recovering from the wetness. We did see a nice jump in overall condition to 67% good to excellent. That's up from 60% a week ago, 8% very poor to poor. That's down from 14% a week ago. And that leaves this year's peanut 
that crop looking quite a bit better than last year when we were sitting at 54% good to excellent. That said, there may have been some irreversible damage in Florida from Hurricane Sally uh, more than a month ago. That was USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. This was the first year farmers could grow hemp legally in Texas, and it turns out that not many farmers wanted to give it a try. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. Following this first season where hemp could be grown legally in Texas, one thing Dr. Calvin Trossel of Texas A&M AgriLife would like to hear from those who actually grew it is... What did you learn this year, and especially if you decide to grow hemp again in 2021, is there anything that you will do differently? Going forward, what many hemp farmers in Texas will likely want to do differently is plant much earlier. By the time state officials had everything ironed out in order to grant farmers their hemp licenses, it took until about June for farmers in our area to get ready to plant. Trossel, who is AgriLife's statewide hemp specialist, says April probably would be a better time to begin a hemp growing season, in part because it would help the crop escape some of that heat coming in the months that follow. For growing hemp, the optimum daytime high temperature is in the range of about 70 to 80 degrees. And across Texas, we are in the range of at least 20 degrees above that just about at any time in the growing season if we're in the summer. The good news? Now that the state has worked out the rules and regs, Trossel says earlier planting times will be achievable in 2021. Maybe that will drive up interest in hemp, but the truth is only about a dozen grower licenses were awarded to applicants in the Texas Panhandle this year. What likely was the biggest factor causing a lot of would-be growers to back off was the collapse in CBD prices, which have plunged about 85% since the start of the 2019 growing season due to an oversupply. CBD might never become the big money maker many once thought it could be, but Trossel says another hemp alternative might catch on. The established farmers seem as interested, if not more so, in fiber hemp going forward because that would really begin to potentially approach the acres where they have crop rotation opportunities and there are some initial fiber announcements around Texas in terms of fiber processing that I think we'll hear a lot more about as we go into early 2021. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas schools benefit from USDA grants. Tom Nicoletti talks with a USDA official about those grants. U.S. Department of Agriculture grants to schools across the country help bring fresh local foods into schools while fostering economic opportunity for America's farmers and ranchers over the next school year. USDA's Brandon Lips joins me again today. Now, this year, records were broken uh, for the second year in a row by uh, an award of more than $12 million in farm-to-school grants across the nation. That's uh, the most awarded since the grant program's inception. Three of those grants went to various areas in the state of Texas, in Dallas, uh, at the Gleaning Network of Texas, uh, DBA Growth North Texas, at St. Mary's Academy Charter School in Beeville, and then one at Northside Independent School District in San Antonio, which received the largest grant. Uh, Brandon, talk about uh, Northside uh, there in San Antonio and what they received and how that will help them. Sure, Tom. We're excited for this to be the biggest year. And so many stakeholders involved in this and so many folks benefit across that spectrum. And so Congress has continued to invest more money in this program. And we've taken great pride at USDA in being able to deliver those dollars in a manner that helps both kids with uh, learning their nutrition choices, but also benefiting American agriculture and local communities. As you noted, specifically three grants in Texas. The biggest is at Northside Independent School District in San Antonio. That grant, very excited about. 
that. It's it's what I would call a comprehensive farm-to-school program that they're putting on. It's going to operate at 10 elementary and middle schools, not only improving their access to local foods, but also agriculture education efforts. They're going to train staff to participate in this program to help the children learn. They're going to have school-based vegetable gardens. They're going to have an agriculture curriculum, and that will translate into taste tests and field experiences at the local agricultural sites there. And and they're going to target uh, around a thousand kindergarten through eighth grade students, many of whom are lower income children who often take advantage of our free and reduced price lunch program. Important key partners in that program that brings a lot of stakeholders together to serve uh, our school children. Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, uh, the local food bank there in San Antonio, and then there is uh, the Hearst Farm and Cibolo Nature Center down there. According to the 2015 Farm to School Census, 28% of Texas school districts uh, surveyed said they uh, participated in farm to school activities. So uh, that's uh, quite a number uh, for the state and uh, with room to grow. There is a lot of room to grow, Tom, and this isn't something that has to be done through our grant program. This is just an opportunity to either launch or expand efforts of local school districts. I think it's always great, and and those of us involved in agriculture need to make sure we take note of the need to educate uh, all of America's school children, but certainly those in urban and suburban settings about the importance of agriculture, about about the challenges and the ways that our American farmers and ranchers overcome those to make sure that we have the best food supply in the world. From our nation's capital, that is Brandon Lips, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Deputy Undersecretary for Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A new COVID relief package may not happen before the November 3rd election, but a post-election deal with billions for agriculture and other sectors now appears much more likely. The Senate will vote this week on some $500 billion in relief, including more paycheck protection loans for small businesses, unemployment, schools, and virus testing. But Democrats are expected to block the new effort. American Farm Bureau's Andrew Walmsley. I think the chances in a lame duck are much, much greater uh, than obviously before the election. But there could also be a scenario, uh, depending on, on the outcome of the election, where I wait till new Congress and might not see a package till January or February. And that's a long time for U.S. agriculture to hold out. Fortunately, ag's in maybe a little bit better spot than some other industries uh, because of the CARES Act. Uh, we have the second round of the coronavirus food assistance program that farmers are a- able to sign up for right now. You know, I think there's still a long-term need in ag that we're going to need another boost in there. Particularly as we get into the winter, um, you're going to continue to see shifts in food trends as, you know, what what the future holds for all Americans, uh, especially as we're seeing some upticks in cases across the country. Still in question is whether the final bill will include $20 billion in aid that the Senate GOP set aside for agriculture in a recently blocked stimulus bill. China is the top U.S. corn buyer. A recent buying spree puts China at the top spot on the U.S. corn buyer list six weeks into the marketing year. China has purchased 10.4 million tons of corn for delivery during 2020 and 2021. That's twice as large as the sales for Mexico, which is usually our number one corn purchaser. The current estate tax exemption level is set to expire in 2025, and that could threaten family farms in the future if a permanent change isn't made by Congress. Michael Clements has more from Washington. 
The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act included an estate tax exemption that expires in 2025. John Newton, American Farm Bureau Federation chief economist, says the current exemption covers transfer of assets up to $11.58 million. And after December 2025, that amount returns to a $5 million inflation-adjusted level. So if we don't get a permanent extension of the $11.58 million or we go back to a lower exemption level, that really risks the family farm operations across the country. Newton says estate taxes are a tax on the transfer of property following a death. If you have asset values that are above that $11.58 million, those are going to be subject to the estate taxes, which can be as high as 40%. If we potentially lower the estate tax exemption to $3.5 million or an inflation-adjusted $5 million, we're looking at more assets out there being subject to additional taxes, and some are looking at that as a pay-for to pay for other policy objectives. Newton says farmers need a permanent fix. A lot of folks often point out that it's a small percentage of the farm population across the country that would be subject to these estate taxes. But when you look at USDA data, it's actually a large percentage of the agricultural land area in this country that could be subject to these estate taxes upon death. So we urgently need a fix to help and protect the family farm operations. Find a complete analysis on the Market Intel page at fb.org. Michael Clements, Washington. The pandemic has caused more Texans to head outdoors. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. And getting air under your horse's skin can be a serious condition. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Getting air under your horse's skin can be a serious condition. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. Most common cause of subcutaneous emphysema or air under the horse's skin is a laceration in the axillary area between one of the forelimbs and the chest. A deep laceration in this area can dissect upwards deeply between the chest wall and the front leg and allow air to enter the tissue usually three to four days after the injury. Although the air can enter the tissue, the tissue acts as a one-way valve and prevents the air from escaping. So as the horse moves, more air enters the wound area and air begins to build up under the skin. These horses can look really strange and although most of the time the air will eventually be resorbed, sometimes it can lead to a serious problem. The air can enter the structures inside the chest cavity and can even be deadly by leading to pneumothorax, which prevents the horse's lungs from expanding. It is also possible the air can carry bacteria and spread the infection over the entire body under the skin. Although it seems you could just stick a needle in the horse's skin and remove the air, it does not work that way as the air is in the tissue and cannot be removed with a needle. Treatment involves decreasing the horse's activity level to prevent further air accumulation and temporarily seal the incision by packing it with sterile material that can be changed every other day. 
Most of these horses also need to be on antibiotics to aid in infection control. Trauma to the respiratory system or to the esophagus can also lead to air trapped under the skin, but this is much less likely than a laceration under the front legs. The air will eventually resorb in most cases, but may require three or more weeks to do so. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The pandemic has caused more Texans to head outdoors. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. The coronavirus pandemic caused people across the United States to change their daily routines. Some people canceled vacations, some stopped eating out, and many began to work from home. Carter Smith, the executive director of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, recently told the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association that many Texans headed outdoors. We have seen a huge uptick in interest in outdoor-related trends, hunting, fishing, boating, camping, kayaking. People, particularly in the cities, very anxious to get outside, really for their mental and emotional and, and psychological health, if nothing else. Our license year from a hunting and fishing perspective runs from August 15th through August 15th. And last license year, we really started seeing an appreciable increase in license sales in April and May. And I think many people were confronted with these either shelter in place or stay at home orders or the choice of going fishing and going fishing they chose. And so we saw a 25% increase year over year sales in our fishing licenses. Last year, we were at about a 9% increase in hunting and fishing license sales over our prior record year, which was in 2017. We were a little anxious to see what was going to happen with the advent of dove season and whether or not we'd see these trends continue with people buying licenses in mid to late August in anticipation of the 1st of September. And the good news is people are continuing to get out in droves. And so our our license sales to date are about 9% above uh, where they were last year. So we feel really good about people getting out and bird hunting and planting to get out and and hunt. That was Carter Smith, Executive Director of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The cattle market bounced back a bit from that big drop we saw on Monday. We'll take a closer look at all of the agricultural markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. While the cattle market bounced back a bit from that big drop we saw on Monday, we actually started the trading day lower, but the market recovered on most contracts to end in positive territory. As far as live cattle go, the October contract up 12 cents, 104.12. The December up 30, 105.45. February live cattle up 47, 108.65. Feeder cattle mostly higher. About the only lower contract is the nearby October. It was down 10 cents, 134.50. November feeders up 70, 130.77. January up $1.47, 126.70. 
Cash Fed cattle trade, as we reported on Monday, we saw some very unusual Monday Fed cattle trade. 106 sold fed cattle in Texas on Monday. I think a lot of the feedlots getting a bit spooked from that big Monday drop we had in the futures. No sales reported on Tuesday, but the feedlots did have bids out there at 104. No sales reported. Boxed beef prices were higher. Choice up a dollar sixty to eleven thirty-four. Select up three twenty-eight at one ninety-five twelve. Let's check a feeder cattle auction now. Live Oak Livestock Auction, Three Rivers, Texas, selling one thousand one hundred forty-three head this week. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, a dollar twenty-two to a dollar seventy-six a pound. Three to four weights, a dollar fourteen to a dollar sixty-two. Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar four to a dollar forty-eight. Five to six weight steers, ninety-two to a dollar twenty-eight a pound. Six to seven weights, ninety to a dollar twenty-four. Seven to eight weight steers, seventy-eight to a dollar eighteen a pound. Slaughter cows, eighteen to fifty-four cents. Slaughter bulls, fifty-four to seventy-eight. Stocker cows, four fifty to one thousand twenty-five a head. Cow calf pairs, seven hundred to ten seventy-five a pair. Back over to the futures board. Lean hogs closed sharply lower. December down 217, 69.25. Class 3 milk was mixed. October milk up 4 cents, 21.46 a hundredweight. The cotton market pulled back a bit after the big run-up we've had over 70 cents. Fundamentally, there's still a lot of news that could support this market out there right now, especially when it comes to the weather. We do have a couple of tropical events out there in the ocean churning around that's making folks nervous. Also looking at a one- to five-day forecast calling for above-normal rainfall from East Texas through the Delta and into the Southeast. So that Delta and Southeast cotton crop continuing to get hammered by rain and that's keeping the trade a bit nervous. But as I said, we did have a pullback with December cotton down 14 points, 71.02. The March down 13, 71.70. Dry weather in Russia continuing to support wheat prices. December, Kansas City wheat up 8 cents, 5.71. July up 8.5, 5.87.5. Corn closed higher. December corn up 3.5, 4.08 and 3 quarters. Checking the energy markets, natural gas. The November contract up 10 cents, 289. November crude oil up 68 at 41.51 a barrel. And finally, the financials, Dow Jones Industrial Average up 113 points, 28,308. The Nasdaq up 37 at 11,516. The S&P 500 up 16 at 3,443. That's a look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can catch us right back here tomorrow for all the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.